What's up, Tony G Nation? Another episode of the Tony G Show set to get underway. It is Tuesday, October, what is it? 20? 20? 20th. 20th day of October. That voice you hear, Will McCormick. Welcome back. Thank you. How was your weekend? It was good. Yeah, I got to see some family, which was nice since uh haven't seen them in a while since of uh, the global pandemic. So, yeah, it was good to see them. Oh, uh, what is that? The global pan? Uh, I don't know. I just, that's a big word that people have been saying. I just start to use it too. Okay. Yeah. 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 Make me sound smart. You know, I'm a college kid. Yeah. Just follow the example of mm-hmm. the media. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I get what you're saying. Glad you had a good weekend. Uh, I also had a good weekend. Thanks for asking. Um, you're welcome. And <laughs> I also spent some time home this weekend and a lot of baseball was on the TV. Yeah, I watched a lot of baseball this weekend. I mean, and it's the season for it. It's cold outside. The leaves are changing. The leaves are actually falling off the tree now. I had two inches of snow this weekend where I was. So No way. Yeah, it, it was winter up there. <laughs> October 20th, 2020, and Will McCormick had snow over the weekend. Mm-hmm. I heard, actually, I hear a lot of people having snow. I think Eau Claire got snow today. Yeah, I think so. But here in De Pere, in Green Bay, which is where I'm from, about 15 minutes apart from each other, no snow. It's, no. it's like just the beginning of fall here, actually. Yeah. I mean, it's creeping towards winter. I'm getting prepared. I'm winterizing myself and, you know, all, all the fun stuff that winter brings. I'm getting ready for it. So, nonetheless, we're going to plow through here this week. Two shows coming up. One on Thursday, one today that you're listening to right now. And let's break down what we're going to be talking about today. MLB postseason, we're going to touch on it. I'm going to go through the ALCS and NLCS both separately. And then we're going to do a little bit of a preview of the World Series. After that, about the halfway point of the Tony G Show, we'll be talking about a particular team making a particular move that I am going to question. Stick around for that. And then, as always, we're going to recap Tony G's picks of the week. This week was, well, very similar to last week. But I'm going to pick it up on Thursday, okay? Stop judging me. Stop making me feel insecure about my picks because, I mean, I I just try. Well, I, <laughs> I try. I, I give it honest thought. I do a little research. We'll get into it. Tony G Show, before we hit the intro and get to it, I am Tony G for days on Twitter. Willis at 5312 on Twitter. Stay connected with us and the show. And the Tony G Show drops Tuesdays, Thursdays, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. And we are also affiliated with SNC Radio. SNC Radio is available at sncradio.com or search up and favorite SNC Radio on the Radio FX app. Will McCormick, welcome back to the action. I tell you what, mm-hmm. you give me a Tony G show or some sort of intro for your welcome back. What? Give me a. Give me a. Welcome, well, welcome back. back. Welcome back to the Tony G Show. How's that? That was pretty bad. Give me a... That was really bad, actually. I mean, you got some work to do, but, you know, we got time. I just sit here when you do the intro, mostly. And that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You send us to the intro now. I, this is I'm you not going to do that. <laughs> when we come back from the I got to practice intro. that. That's going to be like a... No, this was your one chance. This is when I get promoted over you to, to run your show. <laughs> yeah. This is when the voices above us... Speak down and say, Will McCormick's going to run the Tony G show. The Tony G show, Tony G is canned from his own show. It's the Tony G show. You missed your chance. I mean, that was your one chance to, (laughs) you're fired. When we come back from the intro, the Tony G show will continue either with or without Will McCormick. I'll decide in the intro, the Tony G show. 
I decided to can well. He's gone. He's done for. Tony G, bringing you the Tony G Show solo. Hit the bricks, Will. See ya. <laughs> Take your flannel shirt and get out. <laughs> I kid. Will McCormick, he can stick around. <laughs> I can. Um, if you want. Don't say anything, but mm-hmm. you know, stick around. Okay. Yeah, you don't want my input on that. Speaking of sticking around, two teams in the baseball playoffs, MLB postseason, are sticking around for the World Series. And those two teams sticking around, Rays, who downed the Astros, see you later, Houston, and the Dodgers, who came back from a 2-0 deficit in a series and beat the Atlanta Braves. Those are the two teams in the World Series. The stage is set. Here we go. It starts actually tonight, October 20th, when this podcast is being recorded. It'll be Clayton Kershaw, Tyler Glasnow. We'll get into that uh, before we before we do. We're going to break down each championship series. I have a couple takes that I want to bring you from both the ALCS and the NLCS. Just a general analysis of what I picked up from the two championship series. And we'll start in the American League Championship Series because there's something that concerns me out of Tampa Bay. And through watching games, watching the MLB postseason, it's something that I feel like not just concerns me, but it also concerns fans, it concerns the media around Tampa Bay, and it concerns some of the players as well. And uh, we have a couple stories that I want to break down, some examples of what I mean. Uh, Before we do that, the thing that bothers me out of Tampa Bay is when I watch the championship series and the American League championship series and all of the postseason, to be honest with you, Kevin Cash, the Rays manager, has shown his inexperience as a postseason manager. Okay, So what I mean by this is he makes some decisions that are a little premature. He jumps the gun on a couple occasions. He makes the wrong move, puts in the wrong guy here or there, and in the wrong situation as well. And that all comes with experience in the postseason, which Kevin Cash does have. So that's why I kind of find it baffling some of the moves he makes. We'll start here. I think he has too quick of a hook on some of his starting pitchers, or or pitchers in general. On back-to-back nights, he pulled Blake Snell and Charlie Morton when they both had a lot left in the tank. I mean, I think, I think personally, they could have ended that game, they could have ended that series in four to five games, but instead they took it to seven because of some of the mistakes that I think falls on Kevin Cash. Let's start with the pulling of Blake Snell in a game where he, listen, he allowed the first two batters to reach in the fifth inning, okay, and he was immediately pulled after that. He only had 82 pitches in the game, and it was a middle of a shutout. So Blake Snell comes off the mound, and some cameras caught him vocally saying, you know, it was no microphone picking him up. He was caught saying, you know, if you lip sync, oh my God, man, what the expletive are we doing? Visibly upset, Blake Snell was with getting pulled, and I think rightfully so. Like I said, 82 pitches, and he has a shutout. I get you trust your bullpen. I get that it's the fifth inning, moving to the sixth inning. Time to start thinking about getting a reliever up and ready. It's an important game. You kind of want to listen. It was too premature to pull Blake Snell in that game. He was throwing good. He had the Astros off balance the entire night, had a shutout going, and you pull him. That kills the momentum of him moving forward personally as an individual player. And then it will, will also kill the team's momentum. Because just from experience, my personal experience, how elaborate it is in high school, 
when your starting pitcher, your teammate, your friend has a good outing and, and is throwing a shutout, is doing pretty good, and it's, a, and it's a big game too like this is, game six, you start to ride behind him and the energy picks up. You see him giving the extra effort. You see him going the extra mile and making sure that he's putting the team in a good position every single inning. And if he gets off to a bad start, then you have to leave him in to allow him to get out of this situation. The next situation, which I'll be talking about in a, in a minute or so, Charlie Morton, he also does the same thing. You have to let these guys finish their innings for their own personal reasons, their personal pride and, and momentum for morale and the team. I mean, this is, this is a team sport. You have to leave him in, prove to his teammates that he can get through that sort of inning, prove to the entire world, honestly, and what does that say in the other dugout? What does that show to the Astros manager, Dusty Baker, in this situation? What does that show to the entire dugout? He's, he's riding Blake Snell. That proves to me that i got to get my guys in gear against Blake Snell because this is who we're facing. This is the guy we have to beat. What does that show Dusty Baker that he's getting pulled prematurely with a shutout going? Kevin Cash thinks he's on the ropes. Kevin Cash thinks that this entire team is on the ropes in the Rays. We got him. Now you turn to your, your next offensive batters coming up and you say, this is our time to strike. They're going to the bullpen. They think that we're on the brink of a big inning here, breaking through this shutout, scoring, putting up some runs, and potentially winning this game. Too premature for Kevin Cash to pull Blake Snell in that game. Next game, game seven. Two outs, sixth inning. Charlie Morton has allowed the first two men on and is subsequently pulled while throwing a shutout. At 66 pitches in the sixth inning, his strike-to-ball ratio, Will, 48 strikes to 18 balls. That is control. That is poise. That is consistency. And you pull him out with 66 pitches in the biggest game of the season. These tendencies are concerning to me. Because now you get to the World Series, stakes are even higher. This is in front of the entire world. Yeah, so is the Championship Series, but this is the World Series. This is the series where you could either become a champion or go home coming as far as you could possibly go without winning a championship. So, that weighs on Kevin Cash. Now he's more nervous, now he's more anxious. Now, say this is the third inning, Charlie Morton has... 45 pitches, allows two men on, and now what, you're going to pull them there because this is a bigger series? you got to let your starters go, especially if they're your studs. Blake Snell, Charlie Morton. Charlie Morton's a veteran pitcher. Big game, low pitch count, you got to let him work through it. He wants to work through it, and he knows how to work through it, more importantly. A little bit on Charlie Morton here before I continue to uh, Kevin Cash, why I think this was a bad pull of Charlie Morton. The last two postseasons, Charlie Morton, veteran pitcher, has really found his stride. A 4-0 record, a .9 ERA with 24 strikeouts and 20 innings. A whip of 1-2-5 as well. These are phenomenal numbers from a veteran pitcher, a guy who was showing consistency, a guy who was showing poise and promise on the mound for that particular game, and you pull him. More stats here that I have on, on Charlie Morton. I did some... I, I fell kind of down a rabbit hole here looking up the stats on Charlie Morton because I thought it was interesting, his career and how it's turned out and, and where he is. So I, I, I kind of got carried away with the stats here. 
I found out that he has the third lowest earned run average in must-win playoff games with a minimum of 11 innings pitched. He has a .46 earned run average in 19 and two-thirds innings. And the other two that he's behind in that stat, Madison Bumgarner, who won three rings with the Giants, and Justin Verlander, who we all know is lights out, won a ring with the Astros. What am I saying here? Let me wrap this argument all together. Your veteran guys, your studs, your momentum swingers, you got to leave them in the game when they're showing their poise and their consistency that they've trained all season for. Not just are you not allowing them to finish the game, you're not allowing them to earn your trust. You're pulling them out of the game prematurely. Now they think that they're one mistake away from getting pulled when, they're, when it's way too early in the game. Now, now it's a head game. Now it's a head case instead of just pitching. Do you think that besides the Astros not cheating, do you think that this was like one of the main reasons why this went to Game 7 was just this kind of like mismanagement of pitching? I would say so. Like I said, this series could have been over in four or five games, I think. They had the Astros on the ropes early, and they let them get right back into it one game after another. Here they come, here comes their momentum, and here comes their swings and their bats, and now they're figuring out ways to get to your starters. They see that you're, you're pulling pitches a little too early. They see that you're making some wrong mistakes, some wrong moves. Listen, the Rays are talented. I'm not saying Kevin Cash is a bad manager. You just have to learn to manage that talent in the situation here. You got to let your guys go. That's what I think. I mean, they're Mm -hmm. your studs. You don't pull your studs, especially at the pitch count they had. Neither one of them were within 15 pitches of 100. You got to let them go. And I think we've talked about this before, too, but it seems like every year it's just like pitchers pitch for less and less each inning or game. And it just kind of. Yeah, that trend. I I agree. That trend is prevalent in baseball. Mm -hmm. Who was your your favorite in this American League? In the championship series? Mm hmm. I, I came in wanting the Rays to win. I was a little biased towards the Rays because of the Astros and everything that they've gone through. But, I mean, it would have been interesting to see how the sports world, especially the baseball world, would have turned out and would have reacted to the Astros going back to the World Series after they cheated, get caught for it, obviously are not doing it anymore, or at least in, in the extent that they got caught for it for. So it would have been interesting to see how that would have turned out. It would have been cool, too, if they ended up facing the Dodgers, who they ended up beating while cheating. Right. So that would have been really cool to watch the Dodgers beat them in four games. But Another World Series between that's them okay. two. <laughs> yeah, I think the Astros have been have kind of had a chip on their shoulder the entire season. It's been interesting to think for about For no here. reason. For no – well, I think for the reason that they think that they got caught cheating, so now people are looking at them as not talented, not as championship like worthy. Like a trash can maybe? <laughs> like the trash can of the league. Bang on it a couple times, here comes a fastball. Nonetheless, they think that they were looked at in a less talented way. They were disrespected in a way. I mean, I, as they should have, they cheated to get there. But that also doesn't take away from the talent they have. Also doesn't take away from the manager they have, Dusty Baker now. Camera technology. <laughs> from the camera technology they use. I'm just kidding. Will, you're going in on the I'm Astros. Just really, I'm just going after the Astros. The, the Astros, I think, they're speaking to you when they tried to get back to the World mm-hmm. Series. People like you, Will. Well, I guess they didn't make it, so. <laughs> Whoops. Will McCormick riding the Astros. I like it. I'm, I'm all here for it. Will, do your thing. We're going to turn it back to the Rays here for one more take before we get to the NLCS. There is a young superstar being birthed. Birthed? Birthed. There's a young superstar being born. Birthed, I said. I'm going to leave that in the show. I'm not editing that out. Yeah, I don't think you should. I, I mean, should be in there. How? I'm a college student, and I just said that. 
That's okay. We all have those moments. Now you see why my record is what it is in the Tony G Show Picks of the Week. Whatever. As I was saying, there's a young superstar being born in this league throughout this world, throughout this postseason, the entire postseason, not just the championship series. Randy Arozarena out of Tampa Bay, Ray's young star, is very is very much proving himself to be a superstar, a game changer, an X factor moving forward in his career in the next season and the next couple of seasons for the Tampa Bay Rays. A kid who has a great story, who doesn't come from very much, who wasn't proving himself at the big league level just yet. He went from a, a t- an organization to organization before he landed here in the Rays on the postseason roster, and he has proven himself. A couple stats here. He now is at seven home runs in a postseason. Which is, by the way, a rookie record for home runs in one single postseason. His batting average is at 382, but it was floating around 500 for the better part of the the postseason so far. I mean, it was a couple at bats here in the, the championship series that took away that 382 batting average is very good. Don't get me wrong, but it was way higher. It was mm-hmm. it was floating around 480, 500 for most of the postseason before it fell a little bit. Yeah, 382 is like. Still outstandingly good, but... Very good. Yeah. Especially for a small sample size in the, in the playoffs. Nonetheless here, also a couple interesting notes. He has the rookie record for extra base, base hits in a postseason, 11. Extra base hits as well as runs and total bases. And he was also one hit away from tying Derek Jeter. Which he'll do in a World Series. Presuming he doesn't go over in the World Series, mm-hmm. he'll tie that postseason record. Now, to get away from the stats portion of Randy Rosarena, what have I seen from him? Why, why I call him a young superstar? What have you seen in the young superstars that don't necessarily pan out? A Lewis Brinson or a Jake Lamb, the young third baseman out of the Diamondbacks system, they gave up on him, and he's no longer with that organization. And Evan Gaddis or or names like this, young superstars that kind of fizzled out. Why did they fizzle out? Because they're not good fastball hitters. MLB pitchers pick up on the fact that they can't hit a fastball and they just challenge them with them all day long. So what do I see in Randy or Rosarena? The kid is a good fastball hitter. Most of this, most of his fat, his home runs have come on fastballs this postseason. Most of these seven home runs have been fastballs. And the sound, when he hits a fastball, oh boy, you know. You know he made contact. I mean, it is a special type of sound, a sound that is famous throughout baseball. It's just that satisfying crack. Famous throughout all the sports. Everybody knows it. The crack of a bat, a good fastball hitter, and a good fastball. And Randy Arozarena has that sound just naturally. Forget the sound. How about the results as well? The numbers are there to show that he is a young star in this league. He's rising, and he's only going to get better. Scouting reports are also going to advance on him, but I like his chances because he has that good fastball swing. He can turn on a pitch if he needs to. Before I give you a pick on who I on what I'm seeing in the World Series, let's talk about the National League Championship Series before we move on. The first thing I noticed out of the NLCS, Dodgers, Braves, Braves were up 2-0 in the series, Dodgers came back, forced a Game 7, Braves were up in that Game 7, Dodgers came back and won, they're going to the World Series. Good series, two good teams, both a lot of talent, both good managers. What is the one thing I took away? Well, the neutral site of Globe Light Field, the home of the Texas Rangers, is too damn big. That's the one thing I take away. I mean, really. I kind of noticed that, too. It's a huge, huge, huge. field. 
some of the dimensions. Center field is 407. That's the biggest center field to home plate mark in all of baseball, 407 feet. Left and right center is 372 and 374 feet. The dimensions of this ballpark, of these ballparks, are massive. This ballpark in particular. I mean, it's how many home runs should be home runs were robbed. Mookie Betts made a couple of plays. Cody Bellinger robbed a home run in that park. MLB wants to move towards home runs secretly. They don't say that overtly, but they move towards home runs. They want more home runs to be hit, especially in a playoff-type series where everyone is watching, and they allow (laughs) these types of dimensions on the new ballpark in Texas. And look what happened in Miami. Remember, their center field was massive. It was like 423 to center field. Or, or something like that. It was very deep in Marlins Park. Derek Jeter took over. They shrunk the dimensions of the field. They He did some other things that I was about to list, but it's irrelevant really to the point I'm trying to make. Big ballparks don't last. It's, pitchers' ballparks don't exist anymore, especially in a playoff series. I get it's a new stadium, and I get, let's face it, MLB wants the home run ball. They want to move towards it, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, they... As long as they don't go out of their way to hurt the naturality of the game, like juicing the balls they've been accused of doing. We accused them of doing that on the Tony G show a couple seasons ago. You know, so as long as they don't go out of their way and take the naturality of the game away, then you know, it's okay to say you want you know, you want more home runs, you know, you want the the pace of play to pick up a little bit. And you allow this big of a of a field to be the host of the World Series, the National League Championship Series. I mean, this really affects the outcome of a game It has many times throughout that series. I just want to make that point that unnecessarily big is Globe Life Field in Texas. It's massive. I, I think I, I watched like four, at least four hits that probably would have been home runs if the, if the outfield was, you know, a couple feet shorter. Well, and that's the thing. I, I mentioned left and right center. There's like these cutouts. It's like It's like from the poles, from the foul poles in, it's like a straight line on the fence. And then it cuts out for like 10 feet and then it cuts back in. What? Why? Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. For what? Why Why would you unnecessarily big adding in dense or out dense where, where they shouldn't go? It's a ridiculous dimension to a field, I think. It took away from the naturality of the game, too. There's a couple home runs that should have clearly been home runs. And maybe that's a discussion for another show, but like, should there be a standardized size or like. I'm sure there are, like, you know, requirements that has to be within, but I wonder if, like, it's going to come to a point where, like, there just Well, you want every be... ballpark to be unique, you know? Right, but you want, but, like, you don't want it to, like, create a competitive disadvantage right. or advantage towards, mm-hmm. you know, one way or the other. Right. I, I get know, what you're saying, because mm-hmm. I, there's some fields that are just too big. Like, I mentioned Marlins Park. You don't need them that big. 407 to center field, seven feet is... is is huge. Like I said, biggest in baseball. That's the one takeaway I, I had. There's also another takeaway, a little simpler takeaway I had, to put it in simple terms, the Dodgers are good. They're talented. They're coached well. They're talented. Uh, they have momentum heading into the World Series. And did I mention they're talented? Did I mention that, Will? I, I think I missed it. Um, They're talented. <laughs> okay. What I mean by this talent is look at who they're bringing out of the bullpen, starting in games. Dustin May, string bean, redhead, who comes out, throws 100 easily. 
Bruzdar Gratterall, who we've talked about in this season on the Tony G show, comes out, throws about the simplest mechanics I've ever seen, and just hucks a hundred, a hundred, a hundred with movement. What? It's not fair, all right? Clayton Kershaw, of course, the wily veteran playing in yet another World Series. Walker Bueller, young star who's going to, I assume, have the career path of, of a Clayton Kershaw with probably just as much individual personal success. Maybe a little less because Clayton is in another league of his own, but Walker Bueller is talented on his way to possibly a Cy Young or two with just looking at his talent. And then you look at their hitters, Justin Turner, Corey Seager, Cody Bellinger. It's just talent after talent. There's no break in the lineup. They usually say that about teams. Well, this guy's having a good season. This guy is doing pretty well this postseason. No break in their lineup. But with the Dodgers, it's different because it is all just pure, raw, and proven talent. There's no break anywhere. Anywhere. The one fault that I see is closing games. Kenley Jansen's kind of regressed a little bit in these last couple of seasons, and especially this season into the postseason. He's had a couple uh, health issues as well, Kenley Jansen. He hasn't been as locked down. He hasn't been a guaranteed save that he has been in past seasons, so they've had to rely on a couple other guys. Dustin May, I know Walker Bueller's done it You know, in, in must-win games. Bruzdar Gratterall is another guy who I've seen do it. So they have to kind of... They, they kind of just throw out a pitcher that they trust, of course, they rely on to, to close that game, but you'd like that lockdown presence of Kenley Jansen of the past. They don't have that this season. Like I said, a couple miles per hour have fallen off his cutter that he relies on so much, so he's not as guaranteed is what I'm saying. That's the one flaw I may see. Everything else is just in a different standard compared to other Major League Baseball teams. Just a different standard. When I say they're coached well, we talked about this story, uh, I think it was the second episode, maybe the first one, of Season 5 of the Tony G Show. The National League Division Series. They double steal, and I believe it was the sixth inning. I'm thinking off the top of my head now. It was about the sixth inning. They're up by one run. They double steal. Now a sack fly and an RBI run scores. Now a blue base hit, another run scores. Now it's 6-3. to three. They won that game 6-5, and that, those turned out to be the deciding runs because they did that. The double steal there in a big situation, in a big game. I mean, it just goes to show you that they make the right moves. They're in a category of their own when it comes to coaching, talent, and now they have momentum. Now they're even more dangerous heading into the World Series. So let's let's move there. Let's make a little bit of a World Series prediction. Game one again tonight, Tuesday, October 20th. at 7.09 Central Time. Clayton Kershaw versus Tyler Glasnow. Dodgers in six games is my prediction. I, I'm I'm taking Dodgers. I think they're just too talented. I think, you know, I I don't I don't have a bias here. You know, I said the Astros. I didn't want them in because they cheated last year. I kind of want them to go away now. I, I, you know, I need a little hiatus from Astros in, in, the, in the World Series, and I have that here. I don't have a preference of this game because I like the underdogs of the Tampa Bay Rays, but I also think Clayton Kershaw needs a ring to complete his career. He's got all the Cy Youngs. He's got all the records. He's got no hitters and stuff like that. It's time for him to get a ring. And I think everybody can agree on that. I mean, that's a guy who's had quite a bit of a career. And it feels like he's kind of sticking around because he wants to, obviously. You know, he still has some stuff. He doesn't have the miles per hour that he used to back in the day. But he still has good stuff. And he feels like, and rightfully so, feels like 
He needs a World Series ring to just cap off his career. And I'd agree, I'm right there with him. So, Will, I'll open it up to you. Get your thoughts on this World Series coming up. Your take as well, uh, your pick, who's winning and, and such. Go ahead. Yeah, um, I guess I'll, I'm, I'm going to go with Rays in seven. Okay, I um, like it. The underdog pick. Yeah, and I and I think I was going to ask if, so if you lose, um, you're going to be kicked off the show, and if I lose, I'll get kicked off the show. Okay, yeah, see you later. So that, that'll, you know, a little bit of... A little incentive there. Yeah, puts a little <laughs> bit of waste, weight on our shoulders. Um, now I'm going to be shouting at the TV tenfold <laughs> compared to what I would have if we didn't make that. <laughs> but um, I, I guess I have no real rhyme or reason why I'm picking the Rays. I just, I'm, I'm not a Dodger fan or I'm not a, a Dodger hater or whatever. I just um, would like to see somebody different, I guess. And and right, I actually quite, I quite enjoy watching the Rays play. So I think it'll be an interesting series for sure, for sure. Um, Although the Dodgers are a very well-rounded team and, like you said, very well coached, and it's going to be a, a definite mountain of a task to beat them. So a mountain yeah. of a task. I mean, that's a good that's a good baseball team. I'm surprised the Braves were even up two nothing. That is a team that was steamrolling their way through the playoffs, and here they are in the World Series. I I like them a lot, as I mentioned, per reasons that I just gave. I think, like I said, Dodgers in six. Clayton needs a ring. Clayton needs a ring. We're going to move on, transitioning here from MLB to the NFL before we get to my picks of the week that I don't want to say I failed miserably on. I mean, I'm just being a little hard on myself. I, I got a couple right. Didn't turn out how I wanted to. Still the best in the game, so stick with me. I'll straighten it out. Before we get to that, uh, an NFL storyline that I want to hit hard here. There's a team in the NFL making a switch I don't agree with. The Miami Dolphins are switching their quarterbacks from Ryan Fitzpatrick to Tua Tungavailoa. I'm going to argue that is too premature. It is it is flat out too early to make that move. Not not necessarily from a Tua Tungavailoa standpoint. Like I understand what you're trying to do here. Get him in the game, get him some reps. He got into the game last week. I don't I it's too early. If they want Tua to sit behind a veteran quarterback, you think he'd want to do it for at least a year. Right. Or or maybe more than what they're doing right now because this seems very, very early. Like, what benefit did he have from sitting from the, you know, five games he sat? Yeah. Yeah. He sat a total of six games. What do you think or he six, learned? Yeah. He learned that much more? Right. I agree with your process. Before I continue on this pick in particular here, I agree that this process of young rookie quarterbacks, young promising quarterbacks that are slotted in to become the head of the franchise, the process of them sitting behind a veteran quarterback is dissipated now. It is dissipated. Aaron Rodgers did it for a couple years, sat behind Brett Favre, Steve Young sat behind Joe Montana for a couple years. I mean, it was a couple seasons before they got their chance to shine and start and lead a ball team, a ball club. And here's Baker Mayfield doing it right away. Here's Joey Burrow doing it right away. Here's Tua Tungavailoa doing it right away. Even Lamar Jackson spent some time behind Joe Flacco. I right. mean, you want them to make you want to make sure that they are mentally prepared for the NFL at a professional level for football at at the NFL level compared to the college that they're used to. You want to make sure your the quarterback, the young quarterback that's going to be taken over, is ready. And it seems like. It's a like a rarity to have a quarterback that comes out of college and is immediately NFL ready. Yeah, um, immediately just that gifted or right. There's yeah. definitely players that are NFL ready right out of college, but it's definitely a learning curve. It's a whole new game. Yeah. Um, and you just you don't really see it that often, and it seems like a lot of coaches are just kind of choosing to ignore that and just 
choosing the young, cheap player over a long longevity approach towards the quarterback. And here's the thing. It's one thing to draft a quarterback and say, listen, he's going to be our guy going forward. We're going to do a little trial and error period here, making sure he's going to make mistakes. He's going to have a little bit of an adjustment period. We know we're not going to win right away, but we're just going to try and put him out there and, and plan for the future. It's one thing if you do that. Cincinnati's doing it with Joe Burrow. That's their that's their game plan. But if you're going to sit a quarterback behind a veteran, someone who knows what they're doing, someone who can teach the game to the rookie, you want to do that for an extended period of time. Unless, of course, this is like the Justin Herbert situation in Los Angeles with the Chargers where Tyrod Taylor got injured, and so he had to come in. There was no choice. He was no longer the backup. He's leading that team now. But if you're coming into a season and there's no injury to the veteran quarterback, why would you make a switch six games in? So this this switch is a bad move. Yes, for Tua Tungabailoa not necessarily being ready, he's going to have a little bit of a learning period. But from a competitive standpoint, from a Ryan Fitzpatrick standpoint, this was a good season. It's not like they're 0-6 and they're like, okay, we need to make mm-hmm. a move. Like the Giants did with Daniel Jones and Eli Manning, where Eli and the Giants were kind of losing for a couple games, and they're like, we're going to make the switch to Daniel Jones. Just get him some reps. The season's lost. It's not the case in Miami. They're second in the division. They're 3-3. Three and three. You're making this move now? Terrible. Premature. And it's just flat out the wrong move. Ryan Fitzpatrick's having a good year. Seventh in the NFL in QBR, fifth in the NFL in points contributed by a quarterback. Completion percentage around 70%, very, very good. And 1,000 yards with four touchdowns. The one blemish that I'm going to point out just to keep it fair is that he does have five picks. I get the turnovers are there. But regardless, he's leading the Dolphins, like I said, into the second place in the division in AFC East that is now wide open with the Patriots struggling. They're 2-3. and three. Jets are 0-6. Looking at it right now, this is a Dolphins-Bills type of game, and Dolphins are one game behind the Bills, and you're going to make this move now. Ryan Fitzpatrick leading the Dolphins. The offense, who is 11th in the NFL in yards, 11th in touchdowns, and 11th in first downs. This is a top half of the league offense, and 10th in passing yards as well. Yeah, it seems like they have some sort of uh, like future plan, whether that's they're just going to let Tua play, and if he tanks a season, they tank. Or maybe they, we see a lot of teams, just, you know, in this day and age, they find a quarterback who's young, and they spend as much money as possible before they have to pay this quarterback because he's going to be the most expensive player in your team. So you look at Packers, like the Packers, for instance, and they have Aaron Rodgers' contract, which is, you know, probably, it is the largest one on the team. Not probably, that is the largest contract on the team. And so now it makes it harder to go out and find free agents. And I'm almost kind of wondering, like, are they going to use this as, like, Tua's tryout season? Like, is he worth, you know, is he worth, we're going to go out and just stack this team full of veterans, and if he looks good this season, then maybe next year they're going to be like, yep, we're loading up the team. I don't know. What's, what well, do you he, think about that? Well, he had that? the injury last year, remember, that mm-hmm. ended the Alabama season, so he still got drafted high by the Dolphins. What were your exact words there where you said, if we, if... We lose the season, we lose, and if we win, we win. Mm-hmm. That's the that's a terrible mindset. You're second in the division. You're making a run for a playoff spot here, right. and that's your mindset. I feel like if you're going to make a run for the playoffs, or if you're going to move to the future, you're going to be committed one way or the other. You can't be well. We're going to try to make a run for the playoffs, but here comes Tua Tonga Bailoa to take over seven weeks in, when we don't know if he's ready, and we're in second place 
having a pretty solid season behind Ryan Fitzpatrick, who individually is having a very good season for himself. They see Tua maybe as their chance at this young quarterback that is going to be the cheap option for four years or whatever his contract is. But maybe they see him as this cheap option, and it's kind of like, all right, we're going to take a chance at this season, and if he pans out and if they win, then it's like, okay, this is good. We're buying into this team. We're going to spend as much money as we can. In the free agent market, we're we're trying to make the right picks to put weapons around Tua to try to win. Because maybe right now they're seeing like, oh, this team, you know, has some potential. And I don't think, personally, I think Fitzmagic is a good quarterback. I don't think he's the answer. He hasn't been the answer for most teams. Yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe they're just going to play a couple of games with him and see like, you know, if he wins two games, okay, we'll keep him in. If he wins three games, we'll keep him in. And it might be just like kind of like a, a like test in the waters kind of thing with him. Here's what I think. I think they came in with the plan that Tua was going to take over at some point this season. I don't think they planned on being in, in a division race. I don't think they planned on being 500. That, I think they planned probably, on being about 1-5. and five. Yeah, that's probably a pretty valid point. And you know why they're not? Because Ryan Fitzpatrick is having a great year. I mean, you say Fitzmagic, and it was kind of a joke how it started out, but, I mean, the guy's been solid. Mm-hmm. Guy's had solid play everywhere he's gone. I remember when it first came, became a thing with, I think it was the Jets, and then it was Tampa Bay. It was like, this guy can actually play. And he's been an average He's not a franchise guy. He's been an average quarterback throughout his career, but his play is solid. He's had his moments with each team he's played for. Yep, that's the exact thing. He's had his moments where he shines, and it's like, wow, where did this guy come from? Where has this play been? Why why wasn't he a franchise quarterback this whole time? Maybe who knows what his ceiling was if he played in one organization with one game plan and proved himself to the league and the division that way. This way's been fine, too. And that's... That's kind of the point I'm making here is at this point in the season, you're three and three. You're a game away from leading the division. Would you have made this decision if you led the division? I get he's had five turnovers for Fitzpatrick with the with the interceptions. I get that. Everyone has them though. I mean, you can't bank on that as the one sole reason that we're gonna make the move now. You're still three and three. You're still making this deep run at the playoffs here. You cannot make this change now. It's terrible. It's terrible. I mean, yeah, from a Tua standpoint, as we said, you don't know if he's necessarily ready. But from a Fitzpatrick standpoint, what does it say to him that he's going to move to the backup now after he just won this team three out of their six games? After he's in the top ten in some of the NFL categories, as I listened before, I won't do it again, and he has the the Dolphin offense in the top 12 in some major categories. I said it before, I won't listen again. But it, it goes to show you that this process of sitting quarterbacks for a year, for, for being patient, showing them patience, you know, making sure that they know they have to wait and earn their time and earn their reps. And maybe two has shown solid play in, in, in practice that's earned him this switch. I don't know. Mm-hmm. The point is, though, you have to wait it out here. You can't switch now. If you're the Jets and you're 0-6, and say Sam Darnold's in year number 11, and you have a rookie sensation, yeah, okay, make the, sw- make the switch. No one can argue with you. You're, you're going to do what you're going to do at 0-6. Again, you're 3-3, three and three, second in the division. Bad move, bad time. And looking forward to the future, what, what, what effect does this have on Tua and the Dolphins? I think it shows the Dolphins are mismanaged. Even if they did get into the playoffs, I think they'd be mismanaged and I don't think they'd be coached that well. I don't think the the psychological, the mental standpoint of the Dolphins is all there to win a Super Bowl. 
What is it? I think their relationship with Ryan Fitzpatrick is now over for the most part. As we all thought it would be at the end of the season. I'm not saying against that. And the effect on Tua Tungavailoa. He is now, I want to say, 11 months removed from that injury. It's been about a year. We'll say we'll say it's been a year since his injury in, at Alabama with the hip. And you think he's recovered. You don't. I don't want to call him injury prone because it was just the one injury. It was a kind of a freak accident almost that I want to. Uh, you know, kind of got sacked. Was running. Got pulled one direction. It was kind of a freak accident. Yeah, I get that. But now you're going to start him against the NF, against NFL defenses. Look what's happened to Joe Burrow in the first couple weeks. Dude's been getting cracked every week, Joe Burrow. He's been getting hit hard. He's been getting bullied a little bit by defensive linemen and linebackers and pass rushers alike. And now you're going to do that to Tua Tungavailoa in a season where you want him to go out and win. If you don't want him to go out and learn anymore, you want him to go out and win. Put the pressure on him. Okay, if it makes it, if it makes him, it makes him. If it breaks him, well, that's on you for making a switch at this point in the season. We're going to transition there to uh, Tony G Picks of the Week. And before we get to the... Well, well, I suppose we could do Tony G Picks of the Week now, the recap. And then afterwards, uh, I want to talk about a couple games in particular. We'll recap uh, games as a whole after the Tony G Picks of the Week. I came into this week 2-3. and three. Wasn't the strongest. You know, I, I, I pride myself on being perfect. Because I am. I mean, you can take my picks to the bank any day of the week. Came in two and three. Wanted a bounce back week. I said on Thursday, Will wasn't here for it. He has listened to the episode, though. Thanks for listening, Will. Mm-hmm. I said on Thursday, I felt strong about these picks. I liked the picks. All of them were favorited, except I picked Dallas in Monday night. That didn't go so well. That was the one upset I had. So I felt good about the picks that I had. I thought I was gonna. I was, thought I was primed for a four and one, five and zero comeback week. And it was on the right track. Sunday noon, best game that I thought was going to be a little bit closer. Browns, Steelers, 4-1 versus 4-0. I said the Steelers have the number one defense in the NFL, and boy, did they look like it. Baker got benched in that game. We're going to be talking about that in a second. Nonetheless, the Steelers won 38-7. On a roll. I'm 3-3 three and three now. And boy, did I hit a wall. Sunday, 3-30, Packers, Tampa Bay. There was only two 3-30 games to pick from. And I went Packers. We're going to break down this game as well, what we saw, but it wasn't even close. Tampa Bay, 38-10, to the victory over Green Bay. Now I fall to 3-4. and four. I'm going to fall to 3-5 and five with the Sunday night game, Rams-49ers. I said the Rams are going to come in, beat the 49ers, who looked bad in their blowout against the Dolphins. I said, I said Rams are going to come away with a victory. Wrong again, 3-5, 49ers win, 24-16. Two games on Monday night, there was no Thursday night game. Game one on Monday, Chiefs-Bills. I said Chiefs-Bills coming off a little bit of a short week. Um, Chiefs are coming off an ugly loss where they're going to come back. And and they did. They looked good. Bills didn't look too bad, but they didn't look too good either. Chiefs got the win 26-17. The late Monday night game, Cardinals-Cowboys. I think I overestimated how good the Cowboys are. How much they're going to use Zeke. He fumbled twice, Zeke. Got benched. Mm-hmm. Cowboys lost 38-10 to behind Andy Dalton. They're not looking too good this year. 2-4. and four. They're leading the division, by the way. What? Whatever. <laughs> Another 2-3 and three week for Tony G. I fall to 4-6 and six on the season. Five still, more games coming up on Thursday. You can still turn it around in one week, though. You'll uh, be fine. I said that last week, coming into last week. Mm-hmm. 
I shouldn't have to turn it around. I should be... Should be undefeated. I hold myself to a high standard here. Tony G Show as a whole holds themselves to a high standard. Right, Will? That's right. That's right. I thought you were fired. I thought you were gone. I thought you were supposed to be... No, I decided to stay. Okay. You get that call? I, I, I guess I did. We'll let Tony G Nation make that pick. Baker was benched in that loss against the Steelers. 38-7. Looked bad. Couple of picks. Uh, Will, you have the stats, right, of Baker Mayfield and uh, Case Keenum? Yeah, so Baker went uh, 10 of 18 with a completion percentage of uh, 55.56, throwing for 119 yards, one one touchdown, two interceptions. That's a QBR of uh, 54.9. Below average, 119 yards. I get the Steelers have a good defense, number one in the NFL, actually. But what does that show about Baker Mayfield now? You face a good defense and you stall out. You face a good defense and you don't show up at all. You look very bad. You have to get benched. That's a bad look. That's terrible. That's your franchise quarterback. I don't want to say it's another Browns curse here, but I mean, really, it's to be fair. That's like, I mean, I've never been sold on on uh, Baker Mayfield. I think that's on on brand for him. I, you know, I don't dislike him, but I just I'm not sold on him as a quarterback. Let me tell you about this here. Jarvis Landry, five targets, three catches, 40 yards. Odell Beckham, four targets, two catches, 25 yards. Combined, nine targets, five catches, 65 yards. No touchdowns. Those are your two number one guys. Those are two guys that have chemistry, played at LSU together, and both joined up in Cleveland to play with Baker. And here they're both showing frustration again on the sideline. Here Baker's showing frustration. Here Baker's not even in the game. It's a mess in Cleveland right now. I get they're four and two. But that's a division where you cannot you cannot look like that. You gotta show up to play. Steelers, Ravens, they're all picking up their play. Bengals are on the rise after drafting Joe Burrow. That's a division that you're either gonna run or you're you're gonna get ran. And mm-hmm. right now the I get like I said, the Browns are four and two, but they're getting run. I think the Browns could potentially go down as one of the in history is like one of the most mismanaged teams with the amount of talent they have. I think they could potentially be one of like the teams that we look back on, it's like, how were they that bad? Yeah. Like, seriously, how was that possible? Talent and coach. I, how how did they turn out like that? Yeah, it's 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 mind-boggling. It really is. So we're going to move on to another game here. We talked about, I picked Packers, Bucks. was one of two 330 games. I had the Packers dubbed to win. They were on a roll coming off a of bye week, and Tampa lost to the Bears coming off a of a close loss. I had Green Bay. I thought Green Bay was going to run away with this game. And it looked like they were going to 10 nothing early until the Buccaneers got their legs under them. A couple picks, two interceptions. Well, I, I, I swear to you, the first interception, my jaw opened. I My jaw hit the floor. I was in complete shock. Mm-hmm. It was a rough game. And to be fair, I wasn't expecting a 4-0 start from the Packers. So I'm, sure. you know, I'm, not happy with how this game played, but here's my take on it. I didn't see much out of their defense, the Packers, that was promising. Their defense looked bad. Again, some problems. They're f- simple, fixable problems, but they've been reoccurring for years and years here, especially under Mike Pettin. I mean, I... there was a play third and two, and they're playing 10, 15 yards back. What? Get up on a guy. Yeah, I mean, they definitely have their flaws. I think they're, like, I don't know. I have a lot of, like, I see a lot of upside in this team. They just have to work stuff out. Like, 
The offense is going to be, you know, a little bit of a trial and error. They don't have, you know, a whole lot of talent to rely on. They have, you know, a few good role, a few good players, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, maybe even you can argue Lazard now is, you know, more than just a role player. But they certainly have a lot of role players in their offense, and they certainly have quite a few role players in their defense too. And it's going to be a balance of finding, like, how those role players actually you know, have an effect on the game. And sometimes you have games like this where you get totally blown out. And then you have games where you just absolutely destroy your opponent too, I think. And that we've seen a little bit of that side for the – we've we've definitely seen both sides of that for the Packers. So it's going to be – th- I'm not too worried yet. I think it's definitely like, you know, a little fire under their rear end. Let's get them going here. Yeah, it was definitely a shocker for me. I was not expecting that loss. That, that, was, that was a tough game. I mean, you don't – you don't want to come off a bye week and, and throw that on the field. That was bad. You looked you looked prepared in the first half of the game. I mean, you, you know, a couple good drives. You're up 10 nothing, And then the picks just snuffed out the flame. I think the first interception was more of a play calling. The, the defender pick six. Defender snuffed it out right away. It was a quick out route to Devontae Adams. Just get couple yards, that's something the Packers do very often. It's just a quick couple yards, Devontae Adams, here we go, let's get some momentum going down the field. And it's a good plan, but when it's the same plan week to week, defenses are going to start to snuff it out. And I underestimated, I'll admit, the Buccaneers' defense. They had pressure in Aaron Rodgers' face all game long. That was the worst game I've seen being played by the offensive line. And, I, you know, I don't want to put it all on them. That's a good defense for the Buccaneers. But also, with David Bakhtiari getting injured, let's hope that's short-term, the Buccaneers' pass rushers had the Packers' offensive line throwing fits, just guessing at which way they were going to go. I think after losses, the Packers always kind of find their way. I don't think, they, I don't think Matt LaFleur's lost two games in a row. Yeah, we're they always find their ways. They work, they work out. They always find their way. They always work mm-hmm. out their troubles and their... In their weeks after coming off a loss, they always figure out what went wrong and always prepare moving forward after a loss. So I, it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. It'll be interesting to see how Lafleur coaches after a loss like that, where they were up by ten in the Lafleur era. Seeing them have to deal with adversity, dealing with deficits, hasn't been the most impressive. They get down and then they kind of stay there. I mean, it showed in both Forty Nine er games. It showed just last week against the Buccaneers. When they do that, it, they show that they can't find it. They can't fight through the adversity very well. And we'll call it there. Tony G show will wrap up another pick of Tony G's picks of the week coming up on Thursday. We'll, we'll be back in studio as well. Tony G studios here in the beautiful townhouse that I live on, on campus here at St. Norbert college. That'll do it for this episode. Will, nice to have you back. Thank you. Um, you're fired though. <laughs> no, no. Good to have you back. Good to be back for another week of the Tony G Show. I'm about as fired as Dan Quinn, by the way, which we called. Uh, by the way, which we did call. Tony G called it. Oh, quick note before we wrap up. What was the stat I gave about uh, Philip Rivers and his comebacks? He did it again. Bengals down 21 nothing. Colts won that game. Philip Rivers. Just to relate that back to the argument that I had last Tuesday, you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. I mean, uh, mic drop. We're just, mic yeah, drop. mic drop. We'll end the show there. The, to- the guys on the Tony G show know what they're talking about. Right? That's right. Right. Wrap it up there. See you on Thursday. Tony G show for Will McCormick. I'm Tony G. We'll see you later.